Tom Skinner, the great black Christian and author, has written a book entitled, If Christ is the Answer, What Are the Questions? And he may be putting his finger on a problem that exists in the modern church, that being that so oftentimes we address the issues that are really not relevant, and we answer questions that nobody asks. And the, ans the questions that people are asking, the hard questions, we have no answer for. Last Sunday evening, I purposed or set about to ask some hard questions and to let the Bible do the answering of them. The first one is that was one we studied last Sunday. If I go to the Bible, can I believe what it says is true concerning the inerrancy of the Scripture? We came to this statement of faith that what the Scripture says is what God says through man without error. And we come to the second hard question that the Bible needs to answer for us. Who is Jesus? It was a question that was asked uh, all through the three and a half years of his earthly ministry, really. After he healed the paralytic man, he said, Thy sin be forgiven thee. And the religious leaders asked, Who is this man that speaks blasphemy? After he had calmed the storm, he, he, he calmed the waves and stilled the storm, even his disciples said, Who is this man that even the wind and the wave obey him? And when he had pardoned a local prostitute, the people were puzzled at what he did. And so they sat down with him at dinner in the evening time, and they whispered, Who is this man who forgives sin? When Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, the leader of the country, had called for the head of John the Baptist, and the people heard news about Jesus in the countryside and told him about it, his conscience was troubled. He thought John had arisen from the dead. And he asked, Who is this man about whom I hear these things said? And when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem in triumph, riding on the colt of a donkey, the record says that the whole city was stirred, and they asked, Who is this? And Jesus himself asked, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who is Jesus? I suppose the popular answer that you automatically have already thought in your mind is, He is the Son of God, or He is a prophet, or a great teacher, or a moral religious leader, but Jesus said that he was God. He was more than a son of God in the sense that you are a son of your father, more than a prophet or a great moral teacher. He claimed to be God himself, and that claim is either true or he is a lunatic after the order of a man who said, I'm a poached egg or he's a blasphemer, the greatest liar that ever perpetrated his lies upon this earth. Who is Jesus? In order for us to come to some kind of answer to that question, I want you to imagine, I want to give you a simple formula to follow. I want you to picture 
on a blank sheet of paper in the center this statement, Jesus claims to be God. And I want you to draw a line out to the left, an arrow, that, and right on the end of that arrow, the word false. And I want you to draw a line out to the right of that statement, an arrow, at the end of that arrow, I want you to write true. Because we really have two options, only two, that Jesus claims to be God, or true, or their fault. And I want us to deal with the line or the arrow to the left, that his claims are false. And I have two options concerning those also. If the claims of Jesus that he is deity, that he is God, are false, I have two options concerning that. First, he knew that they were true, that he knew that they were false, and he told it anyway. That is, he was a liar. He deluded the people. He was a blasphemer. He lied, and he did it deliberately. He chose to do it. He chose to tell a lie, and he knew the claim was false. Or, he did not know the claim was false. That is to say, he was demented. Out of his demented mind came the delusion or the, or the thought that he was God. And he told that, made that claim and that statement, not really knowing that it was false, but really thinking it was true. Now, you'll be interested to know that these two things were said about Jesus in his earthly life and ministry. And if you'll turn right now in your New Testament, and I hope you've kept it open on your lap there, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, you're going to see where these two claims are found in the Scripture. These two ideas concerning the claim of Jesus that he, that he made as being false. And in the second chapter of the Gospel of Mark, there is that account of the healing of the paralytic man, beginning at verse 4. And Jesus forgave sins, which is something only God can do. And so, look at verse 7 of chapter 2. Why does this man, underscore man, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They said, this man is a perpetrator of lies. He's a blasphemer. Now, Ed Stein in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus Christ, said there were a lot of messiahs, people who claimed to be the messiah, living in the day of Jesus. And they were going about the countryside claiming to be the anointed of God. And Jesus, forgiving sins, claiming that for himself. And in the third chapter, if you want to look to that chapter, in verse 6, I believe it is, when they heard this, or sensed what Jesus was doing, they began to seek a way to destroy him. Because for a man to claim to be God was worthy of death. If a man claimed to be God in the Jewish economy, he was worthy to die. And so they sought ways to destroy him. We can't let a man go on perpetrating that deceit and that lie. Same chapter, chapter 3, verse 22. 
There are those who thought that Jesus was just a poor lunatic who had lost his mind. Verse 22 suggests that he was, that some thought he was demon-possessed. That is, he was deranged and is under the influence of a demon. But the most pathetic part is found in verse 20. I want to read that. But the days will come, rather, verse 20 of chapter 3. And he came home, and the multitude gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. And when his own people heard of this, look at the margin, his own kinsmen, his family. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, saying, he has lost his senses, his own family. Now they thought, poor Jesus, something's wrong with him. We need to go and get him and bring him home and put him in a room somewhere and lock him up. He's lost his mind, his own family. John Ardegis Scott said one day he received a letter, and the letter was from a man who said, you know, I've made a marvelous discovery. God has had two sons. The first son was Jesus Christ, and I am the second. And he said, I turned to the envelope and looked at the uh, return address, and it was from a local mental hospital nearby. That's exactly what some thought of Jesus. And I can imagine whispers went through Nazareth. Some poor Mary, her son has lost his mind, and he's going about the countryside claiming that he is God. Somebody needs to do something about it. Poor Mary, poor family. Now, if the claims of Jesus are false, he either lied or he was a lunatic and didn't know any better. I want to deal with the arrow that points to the light that the claims of Jesus are true. Now, if the claims of Jesus that he is God are true, I have two options concerning that, only two. I can receive that, I can accept that claim and believe it, or I can reject it. And those are the only two claims, only two options that I have. Now, the Gospel of John is different from the other Gospels. It's not a synoptic Gospel. It's different. It's unique. And in the Gospel of John, John sought to show forth in a magnificent way the deity of Jesus. And in the last two verses of the 20th chapter of this Gospel, he says, there are a lot of other things that Jesus did, signs and wonders, that are not written in this record, but these things are written in order that you might believe that Jesus is God. What a way to end his book. But it cannot compare with the way he began his book. In the beginning was the Word. In a beginning that had no beginning, eternally existed God. Eternally existed Jesus. And the Word was with God, and that phrase means he was intimately involved with him. He was among him in the intimate sense of the term. He was face to face with him. He was equal. Now, I've visited with some people in the past, deeply religious, profoundly committed to God, who have come to this passage of Scripture to say what that means is 
that Jesus was a concept in the mind of God, and he became a being in Bethlehem, but did not pre-exist with God in eternity past. The passage says he was intimately related with God and among him in equality. It says, and the word was God, was deity. Tozer's marvelous book, The Pursuit of Holiness, says, the mind looks back to the past vanishes, till time vanishes in the dim past, and it turns and looks forward until thought and ima imagination collapse with exhaustion, and God is on both ends of the line, unaffected by evil. That means that God has no past or future. And because Jesus was God, he has no past or future. He is in the everlasting now. Now watch this. It means that Jesus has already lived all of our tomorrows. When you get to tomorrow, he's already been there, just as he has already lived all of our yesterdays. He has no past or future. And C.F. Lewis said, if you could draw an imaginary picture in your mind of a long sheet of paper that extends out into infinity, that's, time, that's eternity. And on that, long, on that long sheet of paper, draw a short line, that's time. And he said, because time begins and ends in Jesus, it's just like that little span, that little space on the timeless frame. He has no past or future. But at a point of time, Jesus came. And at a point of time, on that timeline, Jesus died. But he had always been. He died upon a cross of wood, but he made the hill on which it stood. Can you imagine what that'd be like? Can you imagine Jesus walking along the roads of Palestine, and he looks over there and he sees this mountain, and he said, mm-hmm, just like I made it little erosion on the north side there, but just like I made it. And can you imagine him coming by the Sea of Galilee for the first time to see it in his earthly life and standing before it and said, yes, I remember the day when I scooped up the dirt out of the ground and laid that Sea of Galilee into existence. The timeless Christ who lives in the everlasting now. Now, I know some people have a problem with that, but you're not you. As a matter of fact, some people in Jesus' day had a, had a problem with that. How could God become man at a point of time and remain God? So if you'll turn to the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John, I want to show you what the Bible says about the problem that, exist, that existed in that time. The 8th chapter of John's Gospel, verse 37. Read that with me. I'll let you find it. I want you to find it. When you find it, just find John chapter 5 and put your finger there. Verse 37, Jesus is speaking, said, I know that you're Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I've seen my father, seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you've heard from your father. And he goes on to say, your father is the devil. That's why you do the things he wants you to do. Then I want you to turn over to verse 53 of that same chapter, chapter 8, and look at this magnificent statement. I want you to underline this and keep it in your memory. Look at that. 
They said to Jesus, Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you've not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and saw it, and was glad. Now look at what they said. The Jews therefore said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now he didn't say, before Abraham was, I was. That seems like a logical tense. No, because he has no past. Before Abraham was, I am. The 17th chapter of John, verse 5, Jesus in that marvelous prayer said to, said to the Father, Glorify thou me with the glory that I had before you, with you before the world was. Now I want you to turn to chapter 5. I want you to follow closely look at this thing. Chapter 5, verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made them well. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My Father is working unto now, and I myself am working. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also but also was calling God his own father, look at that, making himself equal with God. Now sometimes when we come to that time where Jesus called God father, it seems like because we're human beings, we interpret that, that like that he meant that he was like a son to his father, like you are a son to your father. But the Jews understood that when he called, when he talked about God being his father, he was making himself equal with God. Now the problem is, the scripture says that Jesus claims to be God, that's either true or false. If it's true, I have to accept it and believe it, or I have to reject it. And I'm convinced that a person cannot really have faith in God, saving faith in God. He cannot really have Christian faith unless he believes that Jesus is God. Now, what claims do we have? If you're in the outline, what claims do we have to hold on to? We have the claims of his work, of his name. I have a book in my office called, entitled, Jesus as They Saw Him. And in this book, there are 42 names given Jesus. Now, remember that these names were given by Jews who had a horror of deifying a man. And everything in their tradition was against calling Jesus God. And these names were given by companions who lived with Jesus at every level of human existence and life. And they sensed that their companion was more than man. He was God. And they worshipped him. And they prayed to him. 
to whom but God would such names be given as Messiah, Alpha and Omega, Lord, Bread, Creator, who but God would be called by those names? We have the claim of his character. Not one time did Jesus ever ask or pray for forgiveness of sin. He spent his whole life in identification with sinners, bringing them to the mercy seat for cleansing. But not one time did he ever bow in penitence. Not one time did he ever beg for cleansing. And he taught his disciples many lessons that they needed to pray to God daily for forgiveness of their trespasses. Yet not one time did he ever pray that prayer. And that's amazing when you consider that the closer you get to God, the more conscious you are of your own sin. It is the truth of saints that are most conscious that they're the truth of sinners. And he threw out this charge. Who is there among you who convinces me of sin? Who is there that can accuse me of sin? And not one stood to this. In fact, Jesus said, I betrayed innocent blood. And Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. And Pilate's wife said, I'm troubled by this man with a dream. And the centurion who was attending his death praised God and said, Truly this was the Son of God. And the scripture says that the chief priest and the whole council took, uh, got together to try to find testimony against Jesus that they might destroy him, and they were finding none. And the most impressive thing is when you go to the Bible, you do not find an account of sin in Jesus' life. And that's astounding when you remember that the authors of the Bible do not paint their heroes without their sins. And so we have, they're very honest about the sin of the people of the Bible, the, the biblical author. So you have the drunkenness of Noah, and you have the pride of Moses, and you have the lust of David, and you have the weakness of Samson, and you have the fear of Elijah, and you have the self-centeredness of James and John, and the inconsistency of Peter, and the impatience of Paul, but when it draws a portrait of Jesus, it paints no dark shadows, it paints no sin. Rather, it presents Jesus as one with flawless character. Surely this man was God. And we have the claims of his works. John the Baptist sent an emissary after his imprisonment to Jesus and asked, Are you the one we look for, or do we look for another? And Jesus said, you go back and tell John the Baptist what you've seen. You go back and tell John the Baptist what you've witnessed in my life. He didn't swim in the water. He walked on it. He didn't have compassion only for the sick. He healed them. He didn't fall prey to the winds and the storms. He stilled them. He didn't just grieve for the blind, he gave them sight. He didn't just sigh for the grieve, he raised the dead. Surely this was and is the Son of God. 
Surely this man is divine. His claims are true for their fault. And what you believe about the Bible and your faith depends on what you believe about it. Listen to me. A. Leonard Griffin was right when he said, Christianity is the only religion that rests entirely upon the person of its founder. A person, he said, can be a good Mohammedan and think little at all about Mohammed. And he can be a faithful Buddhist and know very little about Buddha. But it's quite different with Christianity. Christ is so inextricably linked to Christianity that our view of Christianity rests on him. This is not a system of morals. This is the worship of a person. And I must say this, you cannot be a Christian and not believe that Jesus is God in flesh. Your faith depends on it. But what advantage is it if Jesus is God, divine? I mean, he could have been a sinless man, a perfect man, a good man, a moral teacher. What good is it to me personally that Jesus is God? Two things. It means that I can believe what the Bible says is true. What the Bible says about sin and salvation and past and future, what the Bible says about me and my relationship in life, I can believe it's true if Jesus is God. If he's not God, I cannot believe it. If, the, if Jesus is God, secondly, there is nothing that I face that I cannot handle. Listen to me carefully. There is nothing I face in life that I cannot handle if Jesus is God. In the hymn book, there is that marvelous book, there is that marvelous hymn, Come Ye Disconsolate. More and Hastings have said what I want you to hear said, and I want you to bow, and I want this to be God inviting you to Jesus. Would you do it right now? Heads bowed.